Thank you, Pete. Yeah, so as Pete said, uh, we are going through this series on the Ten Commandments. Not in order, this is the fourth one in the series, and this is the seventh commandment, don't commit adultery. Pretty straightforward. Probably don't need to say a lot, really, do I? <laughs> so, just so we're all on the same page, um, adultery, definition, dictionary definition of adultery, uh, voluntary sexual intercourse between a married person and a person who is not their spouse. Pretty straightforward. Pretty straightforward. And uh, God says don't do it. It's good. Okay. <laughs> Tea and coffee? Ah, oh, okay. Uh, <laughs> when we talk about adultery, um, it goes into teaching on divorce as well. Uh, but uh, there, there's quite a bit probably that we can talk about with this. In the UK, uh, latest statistics show that 42% of marriages end in divorce. More than four in 10 marriages end in divorce. About half of those in the first 10 years. The average length of a marriage in the UK is 12 years. Average age at divorce is 45 years. You've got five years to go, Pete. <laughs> <laughs> Yay! <laughs> Adultery is the third most common reason given for divorce. Long-term separation and unreasonable behaviour being the other two of the three most common reasons. So it's a big deal. It's important. Ten Commandments, or uh, the Ten Words, as, as they were known in Hebrew. They weren't called commandments in Hebrew. They were the Ten Words. The, these are the Ten Words, what we know as the Ten Commandments. And I guess sometimes we, we tend to think of these a bit like a tick list, don't we? You know, have, have you done this week? Uh, well, uh, haven't made any idols this week. Haven't created you know, a golden calf and bowed down to it. So that's pretty good. Um, Remembered the Sabbath, yeah, we've all turned up on time this morning, so that's pretty good. That's another one we can tick off the list. Uh, didn't murder anybody this week. Can tick that one off the list. Didn't steal this week. Uh, and we kind of think that, you know, we, we, we try and tick these off and, and we weigh up the good and the bad of what's going on. And the thing is, when we... When we think about the Ten Commandments, we often think about them in terms of our own legal system. Because our own legal system requires punishment when you do something wrong. Yeah? It's a, it's a penal system of justice. So uh, last weekend I was away in Romania. And when I came back home, I had a nice letter in the post. And that letter in the post <laughs> said, you were speeding. Yeah, I know. Outrageous, huh? 36 miles an hour in a 30 mile an hour zone. Yeah, walk of shame. <laughs> 
And you know, probably you're similar to me. You know, you get this sort of thing. You think, yeah, all of those times when I've obeyed the speed limit, all of those times. And why now? You know, all of these people that speed all the time, and yet I'm getting this. And you can't kind of try and justify yourself. <laughs> and you forget all of those times when you broke the speed limit and you weren't caught. But the one time when you are caught, you think, oh, you know. But it's a penal system, you know, three points on your license and a fine because I've broken the law. And that's how we tend to regard the laws and the commandments. In the first five books of the Old Testament, what is referred to as the, the Torah, instructions or law, there's over 600 different rules. And it was turned into a rule book, but that was never the intention in the first place. And I think it's really important that we understand what the intention was. These were not a set of rules that were laid out by God to achieve righteousness. It was not a set of rules that said, if you do this, you're going to be righteous, and if you don't do this, then there's a penalty to pay. That's not the purpose of it. The purpose of these rules, the purpose of the commandments, was to reveal God himself to his people. God said to Israel, you, you are my chosen people. I love you, and I want you to understand what I'm like. And that was the purpose of these, what we call commandments. It was a revelation of God to his people, the people that he chose to bless the rest of the nations in the earth. God said to Israel, I want you to be a nation of priests not a nation with priests but a nation of priests Israel was supposed to be the nation that ended up blessing all the people in the world and of course that was achieved ultimately through Jesus but that was God's purpose to set apart Israel to say you are my people I want you to do things differently to everybody else and I want you to be a blessing to everybody so that was the purpose of these laws or rules it's not a penal system that wasn't the idea it was a revelation of what God is who he is so that ultimately we can all be blessed Uh, N.T. Wright, Tom Wright, uh, Bible scholar, theologian. Um, this is not a direct quote of his, but he says some, something like this. The law should reveal the will of God and allow us to walk with him. That was the purpose of it, to allow us to walk hand in hand with God, to restore that relationship with God, to understand what it means to walk with God. But instead what the law ends up doing is shining this light on our condition, our inability to follow God. It actually highlights where we go wrong. It just shows where we fall short. 
where we're unable to live up to the ideals that God wants us to live up to. Moses was well aware of this. When, when you read through uh, the history of Moses and how he led the Israelites out of Egypt, out of captivity in Egypt, and then through the wilderness, you know, time and time again, Moses pleads with the Israelites. And he says to the Israelites, you know, choose life. Choose life. Follow God. Follow what he wants you to do. Choose life. And he pleads with them. And he tells them what's going to happen if they don't. He tells them the consequences if they turn their back on God. But, you know, there's beautiful language at times that he uses just to plead with them, to say, come on, guys. You know, this is our God. This is the wonderful God who loves us, who's rescued us. Don't turn your backs on him. But he knew, ultimately, that they were going to turn their backs on him. Deuteronomy 30, Moses actually looked forward to a time when the relationship was going to be different. It says, the Lord your God will, in the future, your, the Lord your God will circumcise your hearts and the hearts of your descendants so that you may love him with all your heart, with all your soul and live. He looked forward to a time when our relationship with God was going to be different. When we wouldn't be ruled by our human desires. And the same with Jeremiah. Prophet Jeremiah. This is the covenant I will make. The new covenant that I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. Looking forward to the new covenant, to what Jesus has done, to the, the gift of the Spirit that we have now. And Ezekiel as well. I will give them an undivided heart and put a new spirit in them. I will remove from them their heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh. It's all about God wanting to capture our hearts. This was fulfilled with the arrival of Jesus, with his death and his resurrection, and God sending his spirit to all who believe in him. So that takes us on nicely to what Jesus said about adultery. And when we started this series on the Ten Commandments, uh, when Pete did that kind of introductory one, Pete said... No doubt, during this series, we will be hearing some of what Jesus said. You have heard it said, but I say to you. And so here we are. We're at that point. You have heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. But what did Jesus say? Matthew 5, verse 27. You've heard it said, you shall not commit adultery, but I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Ooh. Now it gets a bit serious, doesn't it? And then Jesus goes on, you know, as, as he does sometimes, just to, to really drill home the point. He says, I'm not messing about. I'm absolutely not messing about with you. 
Because if your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out. Throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. If your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. Better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. So guys, you know, I'm not messing about here. Don't commit adultery, but anybody who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery in his heart. So this, this is God's standard. He's looking at our heart. He's looking at the condition of our heart, not just what we do, but our attitude, our thoughts. Don't undress somebody in your mind. You've already committed adultery. Not murdered anybody this week? Ah, oh, good for you. What about your heart attitude? What's been your attitude to people that you've met this week? Has it always been good? Has it always been what God would want? Gotta watch our mind, our thoughts, our eyes, our heart. But Jesus, come on, Jesus. I, I thought this was supposed to be easy, right? Your burden is supposed to be light. Now you've just made things so much worse. You made it ten times worse. Not only am I not supposed to commit adultery, I can't look at anybody lustfully. This is so hard. And it is hard, isn't it? I think to understand properly what Jesus was getting at, we have to understand a little bit about God's ideal for marriage, God's views on marriage. Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. That's God's pattern for marriage, right? Set out really early on. Two become one. Two become united. Two become committed to each other for the whole of their lives. And I think if we understand the nature of this, we can understand a little bit more about Jesus' teaching on adultery and divorce. We need to know what God's ideal is. We need to know and understand what he intended marriage to be. And he has actually shown this to us really clearly we get a very clear idea of what marriage is all about. Time and time again in the Old Testament, God talks about his relationship with Israel, his chosen nation. He talks about it as being a marriage. His commitment, his love, his faithfulness, his intentions, they were a pattern 
an example of what marriage should be like. So ju- just as a, a brief example, Ezekiel chapter 16, and I'm not going to read the whole of the chapter, but Ezekiel chapter 16, this is the prophet Ezekiel, God speaking through the prophet, saying about his love and his commitment to Israel. And it's a bit of a poem. And it tells about how Israel was born and how God saw Israel and how God loved Israel. And I want to just read a few verses. But I came by, this is God speaking, I came by and saw you there, helpless, kicking about in your own blood, a young child. As you lay there, I said, live, and I helped you thrive like a plant in a field. You grew up and became a beautiful jewel. Your breasts became full, your body hair grew, but you were still naked. And when I passed by again, I saw that you were old enough for love. So I wrapped my cloak around you to cover your nakedness. I declared my marriage vows. This is God speaking about Israel. He says, you know, I loved you as a nation. I loved you. I declared my marriage vows. I made a covenant with you, says the sovereign Lord, and you became mine. Then I bathed you, washed you, of your blood. I rubbed fragrant oils into your skin. I gave you expensive clothing of fine linen and silk, beautiful embroidered and sandals made of goatskin leather. I gave you lovely jewelry, bracelets, beautiful necklaces, a ring for your nose, earring for your ears, a lovely crown for your head, and you were adorned with gold and silver. God pouring out his love on the nation of Israel. Your clothes were made of fine linen, costly fabric. You ate the finest foods. You became more beautiful than ever. You looked like a queen, and so you were. I dressed you in my splendor and perfected your beauty, says the sovereign Lord. But you thought your beauty and fame were your own. So you gave yourself as a prostitute to every man who came along. Your beauty was theirs for the asking. You used the lovely things I gave you to make shrines for idols where you played the prostitute. Unbelievable. How could such a thing ever happen? Then you took your sons and daughters, the children you had born to me, and sacrificed them to your gods. Was your prostitution not enough? Must you also slaughter my children by sacrificing them to idols? So God shows this beautiful picture of marriage, of how he loved Israel as a nation, how he poured out his love on Israel, his constant faithful love, how Israel time and again turned their back on God. And in the last few verses of that chapter of Ezekiel, we see a picture of the future. This is what the Sovereign Lord says, I will give you what you deserve, for you have taken your solemn vows lightly by breaking your covenant. Yet I will remember the covenant I made with you when you were young. I will establish an everlasting covenant with you. I will reaffirm my covenant with you and you will know 
that I am the Lord. God's love was constant. Despite whatever happened, God's love was absolutely constant. His intention towards Israel, towards you and me, was always good and is always good, despite what we do. Hosea, the prophet Hosea, God said to Hosea, go and marry a prostitute. Go and marry a promiscuous woman. Because that's what Israel is like. It's what my chosen people are like. They've turned their back on me. Hosea chapter 3. Then the Lord said to me, go and love your wife again, even though she commits adultery with another lover. This will illustrate that the Lord still loves Israel, even though the people have turned to other gods and love to worship them. These passages and so many others illustrate not only the the disobedience of Israel, how the nation time and again turned their back on God, but also show just God's consistency, his faithfulness. He made Israel a chosen nation and he was never gonna turn his back on the promises that he made. His covenant with Israel was irrevocable. He was never gonna break that. His promises were true. Couldn't stop loving them. Couldn't stop doing good towards them. However badly they behaved, God was faithful, totally faithful, totally committed. Know therefore, that the Lord your God is God. He is the faithful God, keeping his covenant of love to a thousand generations of those who love him and keep his commandments. This is God's covenant of love to Israel, God's covenant of love to each one of us. Irrevocable. And that's a picture of what marriage should be like. It's no accident that God used that image of marriage to show what his covenant with Israel, what his covenant with us is like. No accident that marriage was the example that was chosen because marriage is designed to be a covenant, not some sort of contract. It's not a contract where it says, well, if you do this, then I will do that. Or if you don't do this, then this is the consequence. Marriage is a covenant which says, I've promised I will do this. 
You don't have to worry about me. You don't have to worry about my love, my commitment, my faithfulness. It's always going to be there. No matter what. No matter what. That's God's commitment to us. And that's what God designed marriage to be like. Modeled on his covenant commitment. Total, unconditional, unfailing, intentional love. Yeah? That's what marriage should be like, isn't it? Total, unconditional, unfailing, intentional love. It's no wonder 1 Corinthians 13 is read so often at marriage ceremonies. Just a beautiful chapter about love and what that unconditional love actually means perfect love preferring the other self-sacrificing serving not being served And to go back to those words of Jesus in Matthew, I I think these are effectively two sides of the same coin. Because when Jesus says, don't commit adultery, and when he says, actually, you've heard it said, don't commit adultery, what I tell you is that even if you look at somebody lustfully, you've already committed adultery. That's simply the other side of the coin to say that marriage is a covenant, a promise of that unwavering love, absolute fidelity, complete trust, like God's love for you and for me. How far short do we fall? How far short do we fall of that ideal of marriage every single day? How often do we take our partners for granted? How often do we not have time enough for our husbands or our wives? How often do they get what's left at the end of a day rather than the best part of us. How often do we treat our marriages or at least parts of our marriages as contracts rather than covenants? 
So what about when we get it wrong? What happens when we get it wrong? Well, in John chapter 8, you remember that there were a group of Pharisees that brought a woman to Jesus, a woman that had been caught in the act of adultery. Can you imagine what she would have felt? Maybe she'd even heard what Jesus had said about adultery. Just looking at somebody lustfully, just looking at them, you've committed adultery. Well, this was a woman caught in the act of adultery. And the Pharisees brought her to Jesus and said, look, we've caught her in the act of adultery. And there's Jesus crouched down, writing something in the dirt. We don't know what. Love to know what. (laughs) And the Pharisees say to Jesus, come on, the law demands that we stone her to death. And what does Jesus say? Well, if any of you has never done anything wrong, you pick up a stone and throw it. And one by one, they peel away, leaving the woman standing before Jesus. And Jesus says, woman, where have they all gone? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I. Neither do I, said Jesus. But go now and leave your life of sin. Forgiving her, but saying, I forgive you, but sort yourself out. You've been forgiven, but leave your life of sin. Through the cross, we gain forgiveness. We're put right with God. No questions. We come to Jesus. No questions, no doubts. Everything is forgiven. But that's not to give us permission to keep doing wrong. Jesus says, I'm going to forgive you, but you're going to have a new heart. We receive his spirit and a desire deep within to follow his ways, to be obedient to him. To follow him. Marriage and relationships as God intended them to be. Covenant relationships. Lasting Commitment, deep commitment. Beautiful passage in Ephesians 5, which illustrates again what God intends marriages to be like. Ephesians 5, starting at verse 21. And Paul says, and further... Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. 
For wives, this means submit to your husbands as the Lord, as to the Lord. For a husband is the head of his wife, as Christ is the head of the church. He is the saviour of his body, the church. As the church submits to Christ, so you wives should submit to your husbands in everything. For husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without a spot or a wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. And we get caught up with our 21st century sensibilities over this and we think, you know, was Paul being sexist when he talked about wives obeying their husbands? And we forget that this was written in the context of a male-dominated patriarchal system where these words from Paul were utterly revolutionary. What does it mean to love each other as Christ loved us? As Christ loved us. Christ the servant king, the one who washed the feet of his disciples, the one who died for each one of us. That's the sort of sacrificial love that Paul is saying that needs to be the character of your marriage (sighs) look at Jesus look at what he's done God's covenant of love towards us and marriage, they're like mirror images. They're like a reflection of each other. At least that's how God intends it to be. Acts of commitment, acts of love, intentional, faithful love, where you never have to question You never have to doubt. You never have to worry. We all fall so far from being who we should be, but God in his grace and in his mercy puts his spirit into each one of us, a spirit that allows us to cry out, Father, Dad, A spirit that longs to be who we were created to be in his strength. To be devoted to one another. Honoring one another above yourselves. Sacrificial love. So when we think about the commandment, don't commit adultery, 
It's not about a negative. It's not about a don't do this, don't step over this line. I think it's much more about God revealing what his ideal is. And I pray that through his spirit, we are able to be transformed. into covenant relationship with each other. Amen? <laughs> Let's just pray for a moment. Father God, uh, I'm just overwhelmed when when we look at, at your love for us when we look at what it means when we sing about and when we say that you are a faithful God father when we actually realize what that means your faithfulness your commitment of of love towards us your unwavering relentless love towards us Father, help us to grasp the enormity of that, what it means to be loved by you, what it means to be chased down because you love us. Father, I thank you. Thank you from the bottom of my heart that, that you love us so much, that your love never changes your promises are true that you never turn back from wanting good for each one of us and father i pray that in our relationships with each other and in our marriages father i pray that through your spirit we would be able to model that love and that covenant relationship Father, through your spirit, help transform us into a people that are worthy of your name. Father, help us to show your love to each other. Sacrificial love, preferring the other. And help us to show that love to a broken world outside. I ask that in the name of your precious son, Jesus. Amen.